0: Uh, we're continuing this morning in our series um, in 1 Peter, uh, and we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, and the title of this morning, the title of what I'm talking about is uh, Free Submission. Free Submission, so that's what we're talking about. So we're going we're gonna to get straight into the Word of God. Um, and uh, So I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through to 25. So if you've got your Bibles or your apps, um, you can open it to that. It says, For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king is head of state, or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent him sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honour those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. And love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased, when you, uh, God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Okay, so... Free submission. Submission is one of those things um, in the world that, uh, let's be honest, has got a bit of a bad reputation these days. When we think of submission and what the world tells us about it, submission is thought of as being weakness or failure. Um, and, and conversely, uh, authority is, is suggested to be good and a sign of successfulness and a sign of power. When the world talks about authority, it means being in charge, being the boss, don't answer to anyone, be successful. And when it talks about submission, it tells us that we have no self-respect, that we're a pushover, that we have no backbone. But I wanted to address this first. I wanted to address two mistakes that I think the world makes about, uh, about submission. The first mistake is in thinking that there is only one type of submission. There are two types of submission. The first submission is, is known as forced submission. We call it oppression. Okay. And it's where um, a more powerful person or group of people um, abuse their authority and they sub- uh, force submission on people who perhaps have less authority or less strength or less power. We see that in evil dictatorships that, that, that cruelly rule people or, or other countries. We see that in domestic abuse. We see that in child abuse. That is oppression. That is oppression. That is forced submission. And it's not part of what Jesus has in his plan for us. And you need to know this because the passage that we've read, which Peter is, is writing to these churches, these churches are under the oppression of the Roman government, the Roman authorities, and Emperor Nero, who is, who is fiercely persecuting and attacking the Christian church. And Peter is not saying to them, you should give up your faith because the authorities say that you should give up your faith. That is not the sort of submission that he is talking about. We are not called to submit to oppression of people. So that's the first type. But the second type of submission, the submission that we're talking about this morning, is free submission. Free submission is where we choose ourselves to respect authority. And we're going to explore why we do that. But what we're talking about today is not oppression. It is free submission. The second mistake that the world makes is thinking that submission and authority are somehow exclusive to one another. But the Bible tells us that authority and submission are are partners with one another. There's loads of examples in the Bible that I could pick on, but the particular one uh, that I'm going to share with you is about the Trinity. You see it in the Trinity. You've got God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And you see that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he submits to the Father, doesn't he? He shows submission, respect to the Father. And you see that Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Well, you can't send someone that you don't have authority over. And so you see that the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. And you see this enactment in the Trinity of where all three have authority. All three are equally God. And yet they, in respect for one another, submit to one another. And that is a partnership between authority and submission. And so we're going to look today at what Peter tells us about submission, what we can learn in our own lives, um, what we can learn about free submission, which is not the submission the world talks about. It's a submission that Jesus calls us to live with. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at why we should submit. We're going to look at the enemy of submission, and we're going to look at submission at work, submission in the workplace. So why should we submit? It's a great question. Why should we submit to, to human authority? And, and the, the, the passage that we've read is littered with reasons uh, for why we should submit. Peter gives lots of reasons. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but, but he says, submit because authority is there for a good reason. It's there to, to, to uplift the people who are honorable in their lives and helpful in, in society. And it, it's there to deal with the people that, that, that actually are disruptive and, and destructive in society. He says, Submit because we represent Jesus to others. He says submit because it's an example that Jesus left us. And and these are all really good reasons. They're all valid reasons. But I believe the, the best reason, the reason that sums up all those reasons for submitting is written right at the start of the first verse. This is what it says in my Bible. It says something slightly different, different translations. This is what it says. For the Lord's sake, respect human authority. For the Lord's sake, respect human authority. In other words, honor God by submitting to human authority. Why does our submission matter to God? Why does God care about us submitting to human authority? We've got to first understand where authority comes from. Let me read you a passage from Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. This is the start of what we call the Great Commission. This is what it says. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Not just some of it, not just a little bit of it. I have all authority. He is the origin of all authority, human and God alike. Any authority that we have is on loan from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. And When it's on loan, it means that it's only temporary. Any authority that we have is only temporary in our lives here on this earth. Some examples of that you see every day. You see um, a teacher, uh, hopefully, has authority over the the children in their classroom. They have authority over them while they are teaching them. But when those pupils grow up and leave the school, that authority is no longer valid. They no longer have authority over their students. You see, it in parents and children, Parents have authority over their children and yet when the child grows up and becomes an adult and leaves home at 18 or 21 or 36, they, they lose that authority, don't they? They lose that authority. That person is now an adult in their own right and they are no longer under the authority of that, their earthly parents. Paul goes a step f- further in Romans and he says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Paul calls people rebels when they don't obey human authority. And now we're starting to see why for the Lord's sake. Why does it say for the Lord's sake? Let me put it another way, let me put it a different analogy. Imagine you go and work for a company and you answer direct to a line manager and your line manager directly to the owner of the company. And the line manager comes to you one day and says, I'd like you to do this job for me. And you turn around to the line manager and you say, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I will only take orders from the owner. It's foolish, isn't it? Because we know that the owner has given some of his authority by proxy to the line manager in the company. And by saying no to the line manager, you are saying no to the owner. You are, you are by disrespecting the authority of the line manager, you are uh, disrespecting the authority of the owner. And it's like that with God. If you want to honour God with your lives, if you want to worship him with your lives, then you have to submit to all of his authority, and that includes the authority that he gives to people here on earth as well. So if we want to honour God, if we want to submit, if we want to know the reason for submission, it's to honour God, it's to let our lives honour God. So that's the why. Why do we submit? I want to talk to you about the enemy of submission because it's all very well knowing why we submit. But let's be honest, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we really don't want to submit to these people, this organization, or this government. And I want to talk about the enemy of submission. And the enemy of submission, or the biggest enemy of submission, is pride. It's pride. I'm reading a book at the moment by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. Some of you will know it and have read it. It's an incredible book. And um, in there, he's got a chapter in it it's called The Great Sin. The Great Sin. And that is a chapter entirely dedicated to the sin of Pride. And he says, sin, He said, pride is such a dangerous sin. Why is it such a dangerous sin? It's not because it's, it's any worse to God than any other sin, but it's dangerous because it can go unchecked and unnoticed in our lives. It is subtle. It works in the background. Pride is so bad that pride was the sin that Satan did that got him chucked out of heaven. It was pride that brought him down. That's how significant that sin is i uh i got a, a speeding ticket uh, a, a number of weeks ago. I was caught speeding on a sorry a mobile <laughs> a mobile speed camera. i got caught speeding and uh, i got given uh my uh, my speeding ticket and i was offered a, uh, one of these um uh, speed awareness courses to, to go on instead of getting points on my license. Uh, anyway, I, I obviously had to book a day off work to go and, uh, go and do this course, and so I was, I was chatting with people at work and telling them, uh, I've been caught speeding, yeah, I've got to take this day off work, and something very peculiar happened because it turned out that most of my colleagues had been caught speeding at one time or another in their lives, and uh, and I was, expecting, you know, I was expecting them to say, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's what happens. You speed, you break the law, you get caught. You've got, you've got to deal with it. You've got, to, you've got to face up to the thing that you've done wrong. And instead, something very peculiar happened. Instead, somehow, I became the victim, and the police became the evildoers. Go figure, right? They said, they said oh, that's such a shame, James. I mean, they're so sneaky, those police, aren't they? I mean, oh, they just try and catch you out. They just try and catch you out. I had one guy say to me, Oh, it's money for old rope. They just want to tax you more. They just want to tax you more. It's funny, isn't it, that not one person there would admit, uh, Yeah, I was caught speeding. I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing, and, and then I had to pay the price for it. Pride will prevent us from repentance and admission of guilt. That's what pride does. It fuzzies the water and it says the people who are evil are in the right and the people who are not evil are not in the right. It twists things, it twists the truth. Pride prevents us from submission to authority. That's what it does. We don't have time to read it this morning, but I want to, talk to you, I want to talk to you about, so how do we identify pride in our lives? How do we deal with it and identify it in our lives? And, and there's a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, first five verses of that, that chapter, I encourage you to go and read it. And, and Paul is writing to Timothy, and Paul describes to Timothy that this kind of person or kind of people who, who are absorbed by pride, and this is, this is what the kind of people are like, um, But I want to pick up on a particular phrase because I believe this helps us to understand how we identify pride in our life. And he says that these people will be puffed up with pride. They will be puffed up with pride. Do you know pride causes a bloated ego? Pride causes a bloated ego. Has anyone ever had a bloated stomach? You've eaten too much, and you know you've eaten too much. Yeah, Rich, thank you. I've done it too. Um, you know you've eaten too much, and, and all you really want to do is just sit down in a chair, right? And if you sit down in a chair, it's, it's fairly comfortable. You just sit down. You let your digestive system do the, do the job. And, and eventually, probably you know, half an hour, an hour later, you're, you're feeling OK again, and you're right to move. But imagine for a second if you've, you've eaten too much, and someone comes and pokes you into the stomach. It's an uncomfortable idea, isn't it? And they're probably not going to get a good reaction from you. No? They're probably going to get quite an aggressive reaction from you, I expect. And a bloated ego is a bit like that. If you want to find out where pride is at work in your lives, then look for the bloated ego. Because what happens is, when we've got a bloated ego and we've got an ego that's puffed up with pride, when we've got areas of our life where that's the case, it's fine when you're comfortable and you're happy and that no one is rubbing shoulders with you and no one's poking you and, and, and no one's saying something that irritates you or, or steps on your toes. That's absolutely fine, you don't notice you've got it. But as soon as someone pokes your ego, as, someone, as soon as someone treads on your toes, as soon as someone says something, you react disproportionately to what they say have you ever done that have you ever been in a situation where someone has just said something and and you've just flared up at them you've just lost control lost your temper um, reacted incredibly emotionally at them and the reason is that when our ego is puffed up with pride it's bigger than it should be Same as our stomach, when our stomach has too much food in it, it's bigger, it's stretched, it's bigger than it should be, and it's uncomfortable. And it's the same with our ego. When our ego is puffed up with pride, it's uncomfortable when someone pokes it, and we react to it. If we want to know where the pride is in our life, then I suggest the first place that we look is is our ego. Where Where do we have a big ego? So if we've identified pride in our lives, how do we deal with that? And I will hold my hand up and say that I am still working through this in my own life. I'm still working through areas of pride that I have to deal with. And I do not have a a precise answer for you, but I, I have some starting steps that I believe God has given me to share with you. And the first step is to admit our pride and to bring it into the light of Jesus Christ. Pride has a strength in the darkness. Pride has strength in our lives when it is unseen, where it pulls the strings in the background. That's where pride likes to work. But when we bring it to God, when we say to Jesus, Jesus, I've got this pride in my life, this area of pride in my life, this is where my ego is, is, is too big and I, I need you to help me in here. That's when we bring it into the light and it leaves it loses its power. When we, when we use trusted friends, trusted Christians, and ask them to keep us accountable in areas where we're likely to get proud, we're bringing it into the light, and it loses its power in our life. So we need to admit our pride. And secondly, we need to develop humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. And that's what we need to develop in our life. And how do we develop humility? I was listening to a a sermon recently where the guy was talking and he said, uh, he was talking about developing faith in our lives. And he said, if you want to develop faith in your life, you need to go and spend more time with people who have more faith than you do. And I want to say the same to you this morning. If you want to develop humility in your lives, then you've got to go and spend time with people who have more humility than you do. The first person on the top of your list is going to be Jesus Jesus is the most humble person you can spend time with. He's the only person who has any right not to be humble, and yet he is the most humble person that you can spend time with. This is what the passage said that we just read. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. That's how humble Jesus is. No retaliation, even though he was worthy and in his place too so Jesus should be at the top of our list look around the people in this room identify people who you regard as humble in their lives go and spend some time with them go and see how they live go and learn from them it's great to learn from one another in, in the church that's a really important aspect of our faith so pride is the enemy of submission but we can identify it we can bring it into the light and deal with it and we can develop humility the final thing I want to talk to you about this morning is submission at work. I'm just going to reread you the passage. In this passage, um, Peter is talking to slaves, um, and this is what he says. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but if they are, even if they are cruel. For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. And I know that that passage is talking about slaves Uh, and masters and and submitting to the authority of masters. I wanted to explain to you briefly why I'm not looking at slavery, I'm looking at at work. And the reason is that um, I don't belittle slavery at all. It's something that is abhorrent and I recognize that it still goes on today. But we also have to look at the parallels of of this passage and the culture of this passage uh, with the culture that we have today. And the culture that we have today is that slavery is illegal and that it's not socially acceptable uh, in, in the UK today. If you look back at when Peter was writing this, it was very different. Slavery was legal and it was also socially acceptable. And so Peter is catering to a particular set of people who were in sort of a social norm of the time. And so when we translate that back to us, actually the most translatable thing that we can do is apply what he's suggesting here to our work in our lives. Uh, especially in, in the UK. So that's why I'm looking at work, not slavery, this morning. And work, you know, it applies, it applies to all people. Uh, it applies not just to those people who are employed. It applies to people, who, mom and dads, that stay at home and look after the kids. It applies to people who are at school or university. It applies to people who are retired. And you, you're going to see this, that, that work is something that continues throughout our life. It's not just a set 20, 30, 40, 50 years of our life. And work can be a grind. What do I mean by grind? What I mean is I don't mean it can be hard work. Work can be hard, and there's nothing wrong with that. But grind. what I mean by grind is that it, the hard work can be disproportionate to the fruits of our labor, that it can feel futile sometimes. That's what I mean by calling it a grind. And it's not a place where we often feel, uh, I don't know, a desire to want to, to, want to submit to people, is it? It's not often a place where we want to do that. So how do we develop submission at work? First, let's remember where work, what work was meant to be like. I want to I take you on this journey of what work was meant to be like, and we have to do that by looking right at the start of the Bible, right in Genesis chapter 1. And this is what God says. says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the, in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. What does God do once he's made the man and the woman? The first thing the Bible tells us God does is he gives them a job. He gives them a job. He gives them work to do. What do we, what do we learn from that? Firstly, we learn that work is part of our design. It's part of what God intended for us to do. Secondly, we know that because of that, work is good for us. It's good for us because it's part of what we were made to do. And we also know that work is part of the kingdom of God. It's not something that was developed later when when sin came into the world and we we started to have to work. No, work was there right at the beginning. God worked at creating the earth, and then he instilled that work in his creation as well. So work is a good thing, and it's a part of the kingdom of God. You know, I have this theory that there will be work in heaven. I'm convinced by this. There will be work in heaven. Not because we have to earn or provide or anything like that, but because it's good for us. Because it's good for us. So what goes wrong? What goes wrong is sin comes into the world and, uh, and, and the reason for work changes. The reason for work changes. This is what God said to the man after after sin came into the world. This is what God said to Adam. He said, And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle and scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat from its grain. But the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For For you were made from dust, and to dust you shall return. Work stopped becoming about fulfillment. And it started becoming about provision. We started to work because we needed to earn food or earn money. That's what it became. And it started to become a grind. Thorns and thistles would grow up. It's a grind. Sometimes it feels futile, doesn't it? Sometimes we work really hard, and it just seems for nothing. But there's good news there is good news because when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again, Jesus didn't just restore our lives, but he came to bring the kingdom of God into our reality. Where we go, we bring Jesus's kingdom into reality. That's the truth. And his reality is that, first of all, he challenges people when he comes. Sermon on that, he says, why do you worry about what you need to eat or drink or what clothes you're going to wear. He says, God will provide for all those. Your Father in heaven knows you need them. But first of all, seek after the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. That's what he says. And he says, don't worry about provision anymore. Don't worry about provision. Seek after the kingdom of heaven. Bring the kingdom of heaven into being wherever you go. As my disciples, as my followers. So Jesus challenges us. He says, Don't worry about provision anymore. Worry about work because it honors God. Because it's part of what we're designed to do. That's really easy for me to say. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Because our culture tells us that we we work to earn money. We work to earn, earn status and a living. That's what our society says. But God says, no, I am your provision. I am your provision. Work because it's what I designed you to do so you can have fulfillment of life. And so I want to just finish by telling you a few motivations and attitudes that we can have as a a submissive attitude at work. And the first one is know your true boss. You're working for Jesus Christ. That is your, your true boss. That doesn't mean that you get to turn around to your, your human boss and say, oh, I'm not working for you. I'm not going to do that because, uh, because Jesus told me to do something and, uh, and I'm going to completely ignore you. We've already talked about submitting to human authority is submitting to God's authority. So we've got to know our true boss. Second, consider work as worship. Worship doesn't just happen here. I think it was great how John led worship. and It's great how we were able to move in that place of worship this morning. That was brilliant. But worship doesn't stop when you leave those doors. Worship is an act of your life, and that includes work. And thirdly, and this is the hard one because I've talked about things we should do. This is something we shouldn't do. Don't steal time. Don't steal time. If you want to be submissive at work, if you want to be honoring God, if you want your work to worship God, then we've got to not steal time. What does that look like? It means that unless you're paid to uh, or you're on your break, don't spend time looking at Facebook. It means unless you're paid to or, uh, or you're on your break, don't spend time sorting out your personal affairs while your boss is paying you to work. It's about honoring your boss, your human boss, so that you're honoring God at work. They're just a few ideas. So we've talked about why we submit. We submit because we want to honor God. We've talked about the enemy of submission, pride, and how we deal with that. And we've talked about the importance of submission at work. Um, I'm going to finish with this passage um, and, and just say things after this passage. Um, John, I don't know whether you've got a song that you want to finish with. That would be great. I'm just going to finish with this passage, though. John 13, verses 12 to 17. And this is Jesus after he's washed the disciples' feet. And he says, After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is a messenger more important than the one he send, who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And I want to finish by saying if you learn nothing else from this morning, know that we submit because Jesus said, I have given you an example to follow. And if we want to show the world his love, then we also have to submit to his authority. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand.